The House is still in recess and will be until June 30th. The Senate, on the other hand, will return tomorrow. Last week on the Senate floor, the Senate returned on Monday of last week and voted to invoke cloture on the motion to proceed to consideration of H.R. 1957, the legislative vehicle for the Great American Outdoors Act. On Tuesday, the Senate voted to confirm General Charles Q. Brown, Jr. to be Chief of Staff of the United States Air Force. General Brown is the first black man to serve as a Chief of Staff of one of the U.S. Armed Forces. He was confirmed by a vote of 98 to nothing. On Wednesday, the Senate voted to proceed to consideration of H.R. 1957, the legislative vehicle for the Great American Outdoors Act. On Friday, the Senate voted to invoke cloture on the Gardner Amendment Number 1617 in the nature of a substitute, and then they were done. This week on the Senate floor, they'll return tomorrow. At 5.30 p.m., the Senate will proceed to up to three roll call votes on, first, a motion to waive the Budget Act with respect to Substitute Amendment Number 1617. Second, adoption of the substitute amendment, number 1617. And then third, cloture on the underlying bill, H.R. 1957, as amended, if amended. If all goes as planned, that would set up an up or down vote on passage as early as Tuesday. And according to a report in roll call, the House plans to move this bill to the floor before the 4th of July recess. Now to the Russia probe continued. On Thursday, the Senate Judiciary Committee voted by 12 to 10 along party lines to give Chairman Lindsey Graham broad subpoena powers against more than 50 individuals for documents and testimony in his investigation into the origins of the FBI's crossfire hurricane investigation. Graham now has the authority to subpoena former FBI Director James Comey, former Director of National Intelligence James Clapper, and former National Security Advisor Susan Rice, among others. During the committee meeting, Democrats attempted to add Republicans and Trump campaign officials to the list of those for whom subpoenas would be authorized. The Republican majority voted down those attempts. Democrats also attempted to pass an amendment that would allow Democrats to issue subpoenas of their own, but that was voted down too. Why? Because elections have consequences and winners set the rules. Now to deferred action for childhood arrivals. On Wednesday, speaking at a webinar hosted by the Heritage Foundation, Acting Deputy Secretary of Homeland Security Ken Cuccinelli said the Trump administration is anticipating a victory at the Supreme Court within a matter of days to terminate President Obama's illegal and unconstitutional Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals program. Quote, we fully expect to win that case, which will mean that the president's wind down of DACA can take place. If I remember correctly, this is the longest that the Roberts Court has ever gone from oral arguments to the issuance of an opinion. So they are obviously waiting to drop it with the controversial ones at the end of the term. It is unimaginable there could be any other outcome than upholding the president's authority. End quote. On the economy, the Department of Labor announced Thursday that 1.5 million Americans filed new unemployment claims last week. That's the 10th straight week of declining numbers of new jobless claims. That's 355,000 lower than the previous week's total of 1.9 million. Continuing jobless claims also declined to just under 21 million. More than 44 million people have filed for initial unemployment benefits since March. Put another way, using my extraordinary powers of addition and subtraction, I can deduce that the vast majority of the roughly 23 million remaining people who lost their jobs at some point over the past several months have now found new work, either at their former place of employment or at a new place, or they've removed themselves from the workforce. To the Flynn follow-up continued, more follow-up on the strange case of General Michael Flynn. When last we left the retired general, 
He was seeking to be released from his guilty plea, and the Department of Justice had petitioned the court to drop the case and let him go. But Judge Emmett Sullivan had appointed a colleague of his, a retired federal judge, to take a look at the case and make recommendations on whether or not the judge should continue the case himself and sanction Flynn for his behavior. On Wednesday, that retired federal judge, John Gleason, released an 82-page document that rips Attorney General Bill Barr in two, criticizing his handling of the case, describing Barr's effort as an, quote, irregular, unquote, effort that courts would, quote, scoff, unquote, at if the subject were anyone other than an ally of President Trump. Gleason accused the Justice Department of contradicting its own arguments and precedents to explain why it wanted to drop its case against Flynn. Quote, even recognizing that the government is entitled to deference in assessing the strength of its case, these claims are not credible. Indeed, they are preposterous, unquote, he wrote. Instead, wrote Gleason, Judge Sullivan should sentence Flynn on the false statement charge he pled to two and a half years ago. The good news, if we can call it that, is that Gleason did not recommend also charging Flynn with contempt of court for his effort to withdraw his guilty plea. Instead, Gleason said Sullivan should simply take that into account when sentencing Flynn for the false statements charge. Now to a new subject, erasing history. The furor over the death of George Floyd in Minneapolis on Memorial Day has led to two related but separate and distinct legislative and public affairs efforts. First, an effort to change laws regarding certain aspects of the ways police departments operate, about which we'll talk more in a moment. And second, a determination on the part of some of the more extreme elements of the left to engage in what can only properly be described as erasing history via the removal of statutes and other public monuments. Two such examples at the federal level can be seen in a new effort to rename U.S. military bases that are currently named after Confederate military heroes and efforts to remove from the Capitol the 11 statues of Confederate leaders that currently adorn Statuary Hall and other spots. On Wednesday, the Senate Armed Services Committee adopted by voice vote an amendment to the annual National Defense Authorization Bill that would require the Pentagon to rename military bases and other assets that are named after Confederate military leaders. The amendment was offered by Senator Elizabeth Warren. During her White House press briefing on Wednesday afternoon, White House Press Secretary Kayleigh McEnany said that President Trump had declared he would veto the NDAA if the bill mandated the renaming of military bases. Trump tweeted, quote, these monumental and very powerful bases have become part of a great American heritage and a history of winning, victory, and freedom. Therefore, my administration will not even consider the renaming of these magnificent and fabled military installations, end quote. Fort Benning in Georgia, the so-called home of the infantry, is named after Brigadier General Henry L. Benning of the Confederate States of America. It was built in 1909, has been in use since 1918. Fort Bragg in North Carolina is the largest military installation in the world with more than 50,000 active duty personnel, according to the people who run Wikipedia. It's the home of the United States Army Special Operations Command. It's named for Confederate General Braxton Bragg. On the effort to remove Confederate statues from the Capitol, that's a bit trickier than it might seem. The 100 statues that grace Statuary Hall and other spots in the Capitol are actually chosen by the 50 states themselves. Each state has the right to send two statues to the Capitol, and it's the state's choice, not the speaker's. So even though Speaker Pelosi wants very much to rid the Capitol of these statues, she simply cannot do it on her own. She's got to convince the states to request their removal or pass legislation, which, given the president's declaration regarding the renaming of military bases, isn't likely to be easy to do because he'd probably veto such legislation. 
Nevertheless, on Thursday, members of the Congressional Black Caucus did just that, introducing a new bill that would remove the statues. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell and House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy have made clear their opposition to such efforts. This one is likely to get ugly before it's over. And now to police reform. On Monday of last week, House Democrats unveiled their sweeping new police reform bill. The bill would make broad changes to police policy across the country by conditioning the receipt of federal assistance on the adoption of new standards in several areas, including adoption of a ban on chokeholds, making it easier to sue police officers who improperly kill or injure citizens, and a ban on no-knock warrants. The bill would lower the federal threshold for when police officers can be charged with the use of excessive force, and it would limit qualified immunity, which as of now protects police officers from being sued over their misconduct. The bill also creates a national police misconduct registry, makes lynching a federal crime, ends racial profiling, develops a national standard on the use of force, and limits the transfer of military equipment to police departments. House Republicans are unhappy that they were not allowed input into the bill, but they don't want to simply oppose it for the sake of opposing it. So they'll find a way to put together their own bill and try to meet the Democrats halfway. House Democrats plan to mark this bill up in the House Judiciary Committee week after next and then move it to the floor for final passage before the end of June. And that's our Washington Report for this week.